Hallelujah. Well, you didn't go camping. Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, I'm just reflecting back on camping trips. We had, we had some camping trip discussions the other day, and um, the joys of those one-inch mattresses are just overwhelming. Hallelujah. Well, we're talking about Jubilee. Everybody say Jubilee. Do you remember what Jubilee means? Jubilee means to sound a loud horn. Uh, a ram's horn. Uh, yeah? And uh, so, uh, but from which the trumpet has come, of which I play, by the way. That's it, the awe in the room. The awe is overwhelming. I started on a coronet, which is a brass version, I'm sure, of a ram's horn. However, much more tasty, I'm sure, but nonetheless, and not near as smelly. However, if you don't clean them, after a while they do get a bit stinky. Anybody ever play an instrument, a horn? How many horn players in the... How many, Travis, yes, Pam. How many horn players in the room? Don't be ashamed of yourself. Put your hands up. Whoa, Gene. Oh, my God, Diane. Look at, look at all the horn players. Whoa, look around. So Jubilee, Jubilee means to sound the trumpet, to sound, and it's, it's to release a sound that is a, it's a joyful sound. It really releases the inauguration of something and the, and the announcement of Jubilee, the announcement of Jubilee would happen on the Day of Atonement. But we were kind of concluding last year, last year, <laughs> whew, hallelujah, we were kind of concluding last week that the, sh- the, the sounding of the Jubilee, uh, you can imagine that many of those in Israel would have a ram's horn. And we were kind of concluding last week that the sounding of the Jubilee, because this celebration went on for a full year, that there would be an announcement of Jubilee potentially every time that there was the announcement or the transaction of a debt being released. Did you know that our economic system today and even the, the, uh, the, the framework, I don't know how to say that exactly right, but of bankruptcy is actually based on Leviticus 25? Did you know that? And uh, I, I know we put a little bit of shame sometimes. Culturally, there's a bit of a stigma on those who have to go through bankruptcy. Hello, somebody. Uh, and maybe there should be a little bit of a stigma if it was maybe propagated by an unjust situation or a financially thirsty lawyer. But actually... In its, in its foundation, the, the mindset, the perspective of bankruptcy comes out of Leviticus 25, and it shouldn't be a stigma. It should be, it, we actually should see it as a blessing to those who are troubled. Oh, I'm really messing with you there. Oh, boy. 
Just messed with all of you. Can you move forward with me in the message today, or did I did I mess you up so bad right there that this is just going to foul up everything? Okay. Leviticus 25. Let's go to Leviticus 25, actually, and read a little bit out of Leviticus 25 uh, together. Yes. Uh, and then I want to set the tone for this a little bit. Um, well, let's set the tone first. For those of you that are um, fresh today or new today or didn't catch some of the tone of last week. So what we've got, we've got, here's the context. We've got the children of Israel. Um, to avoid famine, God leads them down into Egypt. So Egypt is a northern part of Africa. They're led down into Egypt. How many of you know Joseph was the one who got them there? He was used of God. Jacob, whose name has been changed to Israel, they all go down into Egypt because a famine was coming into their land. And this is how God was going to preserve them. But they're there for a while, and after a while, it says the Pharaoh that came along because they were there 430 years. Everybody say 430 years. That's a long time. They were there so long that one of the pharaohs that came along, we'll try to simplify the story so that we know the context of where we're going. One of the pharaohs did not know the children and began to put the children of Jacob so the, the 12 tribes begin to put them into bondage. And, uh, and the purpose was that they had been brought into the most beautiful part of the land, which was a, part of e- which was a type of Eden, which was what God was always up to. God always wants to restore his kids to a type of Eden. So they went down there, and when they went down there, they were given the land of Goshen, the Pharaoh that was in the position of leadership when Joseph went, said, let's give them the land of Goshen. The land of Goshen was gorgeous. It was beautiful. It was fertile. It was amazing. And it says it looked like the land of Eden. And so they're given that land, but they see that they're growing, they're multiplying. And it looks like out of fear, it was out of fear that they might take over, that the enemy began to constrain them with slavery. And so they begin to use the Hebrews to build everything, and all of this is going on. And so the Hebrew people begin to cry out to God, and you know what happened, what happened. Here came Moses. Moses came as a deliverer. God called him out of Midian to come back to Egypt to be a deliverer, to get them out of there. And the end of all of these plagues, the tenth plague, was the Passover. The Passover was a type, a foreshadowing of what God has done for us now as believers in this day and age through Jesus. The Passover was to bring this perfect, blemish-free, spotless lamb into the home and to sacrifice the lamb and then to put the blood of the lamb over the lintel and the doorposts of the home and then the death angel passed through the land. And when that happened, the firstborn of the Egyptians died and they said, you can go. And so they went and they went off into 
the wilderness heading to the promised land, which was the land God had promised Abraham way back, Genesis 12, 13, 14, and 15, when he said to Abraham, lift up your eyes, and as far as you can see, I'm giving this land to you as an inheritance to your children and your children's children. So they were going to that, which was the promised land. Everybody say promised land. Again, a picture of what God has for you. It was a type of Eden. It was a land flowing with milk and honey, a land where precious stones and gold and silver could be dug up with a shovel. It was beautiful. And so he's leading them out to the promised land, but on the way to the promised land, you remember, he gets them out And he takes them to Sinai, and at Sinai, he wants to appear to them in his glory. Fire comes down on the mount, and he wants to give them his word. And there is this gathering at Sinai where his power will be poured out upon them. But when they get there, they're like, "Uh, we really are... We're scared. We're nervous. This is too much for us. Moses, you go do this without us. Uh, we we, we kind of don't want this. And so this was like a type now, a type or a foreshadowing of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and it actually happened on Pentecost Sunday. Did you know that? So seven weeks out there, 49 days, on the 50th day, they were to meet with God, and God came down on the mount, and the mountain quaked, and all of this stuff is going on. That's, that was the first Pentecost. The first Pentecost was fire on the mountain, and it touched Moses so deeply that it says his face glowed. He had to cover his face with a veil, lest they be overwhelmed with the glow from the presence of God. That was the first Pentecost. Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 is our fulfillment of that event. That was a foreshadowing of the Holy Spirit coming upon us. And you'll notice that they were in or on the temple mount when it happened. They were at the temple, on the temple mount. The glory of God came down. They had been seeking the Lord, and he came down with fire on each of them. Acts chapter 2. That's it? That's all I get? Really? Wrong church? What? 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 Yes! Thank you! Thank you! Hallelujah! Come on, give the Lord a praise! These are amazing fulfillments. These are, these are amazing fulfillments. I mean, this is, this is the cool stuff of God. That God would visit his people once again. That God would have a people. That God would... That God would do these amazing things, right? So let's reverse a little bit, and uh, let's go to Leviticus 25. Leviticus 25 is God giving them instructions about going into the land. He says, when you get into the land, when you actually get through all of this, and you actually get into the land, then here's the things I want you to do. When did they get into the land? They had to cross the River Jordan. Remember that? They crossed the River Jordan at flood stage. 
They, he said as soon as the priests put their feet in the water, the water will back up. So they get out there. Remember, they're going to fight a battle on the other side, which is Jericho. They get up to the River Jordan. It says when the priests put their feet, this is Joshua chapters 1, 2, and 3. When they put their feet in the water, the water is going to back all the way up to where? Remember? It's, it's going to back all the way up to a city called Adam. It was a symbol of God rolling back the curse all the way. Every one of these things, God is symbol, symbolically, he's foreshadowing, he's declaring all these things. Do you remember in, uh, go over to, are you having fun yet? Are we okay? Go over to Luke 24. Luke 24. Thank you for bearing with me. Luke 24, I want to see if I can find this passage. Because the word is so alive. The Old Testament, the First Testament, the Testament to the Hebrew people is so alive with the picture of Yeshua. It's so alive with salvation. It's so alive with the goodness of God. It, it's, it's so relevant and it's not just a history book, but it's a book that unfolds and uncovers the mystery of salvation. It's not a book for you to leave alone. It's not a book for you to set aside. It's not a book for you to cut out of your Bible. It is is a book that is full of life for us. There's so much life for us here. Uh, I'm looking for something in Luke 24. Sorry. You okay? See if I can find it. Give me a minute. This is a cool passage. It's kind of fun. It's, kind of long. it's maybe too long. Oh boy. Oh my goodness. Oh dear. Okay, this is right after the resurrection. Right after the resurrection. If it's too long, I'll have to skip some. Okay? Where is it? Oh boy. Luke 24. Pastor's losing it. Peter arose, uh, Peter arose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, and he saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home, marveling at what had been happened, what had happened. And behold, two of them were going that very day, two of the disciples were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were conversing with each other about all the things that had taken place. And it came about, now Jesus, now by the way, Jesus has just popped out of the tomb. Peter saw it, he freaks out, he runs away, right? There's two others that they're on a walk. All they know is that our Lord's been crucified. All they know is that he's dead. It came about while they're conversing and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are these words you're exchanging with one another as you're walking? And they stood still looking sad, and one of them named Cleophas answered and said, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem unaware of the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said, 
the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed, and in word, in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and how the rulers del- delivered him up to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that he who was going to, he, that he would, that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. They came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just exactly as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer all these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, and beginning with Moses, who wrote the Torah? Who wrote the first five books? Moses. And beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in the Scriptures. The Old Testament is telling his story. These things are telling his story. He begins to expound to them. They didn't have what we call the New Testament. All they had was that First Testament. They didn't have what we have today, the writings of Paul. All they had was that First Testament. And he began to show them himself. He began to expound on where he was. He began to expound on where God was hiding and where he had hidden the Messiah and the breakthroughs and the love and the restoration and everything that he had intended for people. He began to share these things. Isn't that cool? And... And they approached the village where they were going. And he acted as though he would go further. And they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting toward even, evening. And the day is nearly over. And he went in to stay with them. And it came about that when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it. And breaking it, he began to give it to them. And their eyes were opened. And they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road and while he was explaining the scriptures to us? What scriptures was he explaining? The Old Testament, the First Testament, the Testament to the Hebrew people. That's what he was explaining. As he was explaining it, the Holy Spirit was stirring their hearts. Their hearts were burning. Don't throw it out. It's full of life. Seek to understand it. Seek to be a learner. Seek to understand it. Seek, seek, and ask the Holy Spirit to begin to show you the things that are hidden in that testament, in those scriptures. Those scriptures have power. They have relevance. They have understanding. They have fulfillment. And they're a beautiful picture of what God is up to. Amen? And so he said, when you get into the land, when you go into the land, try and hurry. That was, a, that was quite a detour right there. One of the largest rabbit trails Lily's ever had right there. Lily goes on rabbit trails, by the way. And we will be waiting forever for her to come back. Lily the lab. Some of you don't care. So he says to them, listen, listen. He says to them, when you get into the land, here's what I want. And he's giving them instruction, Leviticus 25. We've been looking at it. Is where we find a bunch of this instruction. The Lord said to Moses on Mount Sinai, 
speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land, I'm going to give you, the land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. They would have a Sabbath. The land would have a Sabbath. For six years, you're to sow your fields. For six years, prune your vineyards and gather the crops. But the seventh year, the land is to have a Sabbath of rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. Do not sow your fields or prune your vineyards. Do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the grapes of your untended vines. The land is to have a year of rest. Whatever the land yields during the Sabbath year will be food for you, for yourself, for your manservant, your maidservant, your hired worker, your temporary resident who lives among you, as well as for your livestock, wild animals in your land. Whatever the land produces may be eaten. Verse 8, then count off seven Sabbaths of years. Seven times seven years, so that the seventh Sabbath of years amount to a period of 49 years. Then have the trumpet sounded, the trumpet, the, the uh, jubilee, the, the jubilee would be sounded everywhere on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, sound the trumpet throughout your land and consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each of you, each one of you is to return to his family property and each to his own clan. The 50th year shall be a year of jubilee for you. Do not sow, do not reap what grows. Everyone, verse 13, in this year of Jubilee, everyone is to return to his own property. And then he gives more instruction on that. Now, I told you last week, our emphasis last week, is that the Jubilee historically, and by the way, we're in a historical year of Jubilee. We talked about that. 1917 was a historical year of Jubilee. It's the year the Balfour proclamation was declared. Britain won a war against the Turkish uh, uh, and the Ottoman Empire, and the Balfour proclamation established a homeland for the children of Israel in 1917. That was two jubilees ago. The last jubilee was 1967, and we know what happened in the 1967 Six-Day War. Israel recaptured Jerusalem and the Temple Mount, and it was a great victory. So there are historical jubilees. We live in what I believe is a perpetual jubilee because Jesus has become our jubilee. So we're living in a perpetual jubilee. We expect God to move during a historical jubilee. We expect God to move on behalf of his people. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray for the people, the Hebrew people. We're believing for God to restore them and to bring them in. Romans chapter 11 says that their salvation will be like a salvation for the whole entire globe. As they come in progressively, there's going, we're going to hit a threshold as they come in. And they're coming in now to Yeshua. And as they come in to him, as they come in and acknowledge him. And right now they're saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus said, you will not see me again until you hear this be said. Blessed is he who comes in the name of Yeshua. Guess what? They're saying it. God is up to crazy and cool things. We're going to hit a threshold, and we're going to hit a point in that threshold where 
the weight of them coming into Yeshua is going to bring a salvation to the globe that's going to blow your mind. Because what God has in mind is a full restoration to the globe. What God has in mind is a full restoration. Jesus did not win a battle for a small victory. He didn't win a battle over Satan, over darkness, over sin, over the curse, over all that held you back for a small victory. He won that battle for a full victory victory. He won that battle for a restoration of the entire globe. Romans chapter 11 says they will come in. They will come in. And we, we are those who have a passion for them to come in. Those of Hebrew and Jewish roots. Some of you have Jewish and Hebrew roots and you don't know it. You're of those tribes and you don't know it because they were scattered throughout the globe. And part of, part of that desire, that yearning, that you can't shut it up desire within you for Yeshua, for God, is really part of that bloodline within you. Part of that royalty within you, believe it or not, is some of that cry within you because this is a nation of dominion, a nation of royalty. These are tribes of royalty, and part of that within you, you don't even know it, but there's something within you that is Godward, and you can't shut it up. And it's the Spirit of God drawing you into something deeper, because you've got roots that go all the way back to a relationship with God that can't be stifled, it can't be shut up, it can't be satiated with just natural things. You're not, you're not satisfied with just natural things. You want more of Him. You want to know Him. You want to be marked by Him. This is your heart. It's your heart's cry. So He says to them, and I, I mentioned this last week, that, that Jubilee is to be, it was a resetting. Historically, it was a resetting of economy. It was a resetting of economy. When they went in, and as they're getting up to the Jordan, ready to cross the Jordan River, then God gives Joshua a download, and he sees all of the property of the promised land, and God tells him what to divide among the clans. So the 12 tribes all received, we, I, I can't tell you how much because I haven't studied that part, but all of the 12 tribes received a land allotment. A thousand acres, five thousand acres. I don't know. I don't know what it was. It was huge. Each one of the tribes received a land allotment, and that was their land to go in, dispossess the enemy out of, and to settle in and inherit the houses, the lands, the vineyards, the farms that were already there. That was the land allotment. The year of jubilee was a reset of the economy where after 50 years, some would prosper, some of the clans would prosper, some would falter, some would have good weather, some would have bad weather, some would have sickness or disease, some would have trouble, some would, would have resistance from enemies, some would have difficulties. There would, be, there would be some who would go into debt, some would not go into debt, some would have prosperous crops, some would not have... And so what would happen is things would get kind of sideways where some of the children of Israel would be in debt. Some would have indentured servants, some would have slaves, some would have slaves from other countries as well, from roundabout. All of that's explained, and he's saying, in the 50th year, you're going to reset the economy, and you're going to release all debt, you're going to release slaves... You're going to release slaves. You're going to release those that owe you something. No matter how much they owe you. No matter how much they owe you, 
to sustain Jubilee and to move into the next season of God's hand on the nation, then you have to release whatever is owed you, no matter how much that is. So last week we talked about that. That was the theme last week. Believe it or not, it took me this long to get to last week's theme. That's a good preacher. He can talk way too much. So we, we talked about, you know what, we, for us to have perpetual jubilee, for us to enter into, live in, abide in perpetual jubilee, then we embrace this as a lifestyle. We become ones who watch over our heart and we are like, we are like crazy about releasing debts. When the disciples are watching Jesus and they're perplexed and they're watching him and they're like, man, we want, we want everything that he's got and we want a relationship with the Father like this. And they said, teach us how to pray. Matthew 6, 9 through 11, all the way through actually verse 13, he's teaching them how to pray. Pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, Right? And then he moves in through the prayer, and, 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 and he says in this prayer, he says, give us this, give us this. So he's implying that every day we're actually going to have this, this fresh relationship with Father. Every day, every day we have a fresh relationship with Father. And then he says, he goes on in that prayer, forgive us our, as we forgive our, as we forgive our, Forgive us our debts to the degree, to the ratio that we forgive our debtors. Those that owe us something, since I owed you something to that same degree, and actually right now I might owe you something. Right now I might have invoked the blood of Jesus all over again because I messed up again. Anybody ever mess up again? Oh yeah, don't look around when you raise your hand on that one. And so forgive me my debts as I, to the same degree as I forgive the debts of those that owe me something. How often do we pray this? This is a daily part of our lives with God that we can live in, that we can walk in a perpetual jubilee, that the jubilee of God will be ours, that the blessing of God will be ours, that everything is reset with us. We reset everything with others so that everything is reset with us so that we continue to walk in the blessing of God. How much loss have we incurred? How much loss have we incurred? See, what happens is that our sins begin to encroach on our inheritance. Are you hearing me? How did they lose their inheritance? They got 5,000 acres. The clan got 5,000 acres. How did they lose that 5,000 acres? Their failures, their difficulties, their sins, their foolishness began to encroach on their 5,000. They had to let 1,000 go. They, had, they lost another 500 over here. They've got this leased out to a neighbor. They've got that, that one over here. They're in debt. They had a debt over here with another neighbor over here with Reuben, with Levi. They, they couldn't pay Asher. They couldn't pay off some of these debts, and so now they're down to 3,000 acres. How, how does this work with us? 
There's a spiritual principle here. Our sins, our unresolved sins, our unresolved debts with God begin to diminish our inheritance. They begin to encroach on our soul and begin to diminish our inheritance. God intends. What God intends for us is a fully restored life. This all started when he gave us the planet. You have an allotment on the planet. You have a place of dominion on the planet. You have a place of blessing on the planet. You have a more than enough role and a place on the planet. But our sins begin to encroach on our inheritance and, and, and our inheritance is interrelated to what he's called us to do and what he's meant for us and what he foresaw for us and what he wove together as provision for us. And he's, he, he, didn't, he never intended for you to fail in anything that, that he saw about you. You're not supposed to fail. He's got a full inheritance for you. But the problem is our unresolved sins have opened the door for our inheritance to be encroached upon. And now we're living out of 3,000 acres instead of the five he gave us. Or we're living out of 2,000. We're trying to sustain everything out of 1,500 acres out of the, instead of out of the full 5,000 that he gave us. Our heart has become small. Watch over your heart. Proverbs 4.20. Guard your heart. Guard your heart because out of your heart comes the boundaries of your life. Proverbs 4.20, guard your heart above all things because out of your heart comes the issues. The King James says the issues of life. Guess what? It's the word in Hebrew, the boundaries. It's the boundaries. It's the boundaries. Your heart is, your heart is determining if you're down to a 1,500-acre life. And you're trying to provide, and you're trying to get, and you're trying to move through, and you're trying to, and and, and you're trying to see supply, and 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 God helping you on the, on a fifteen hundred acre life, instead of the five thousand that He intended, that He marked out for you in your inheritance. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. See, this is what happens: is sin. Sin and the influence of the enemy, the influence of that old creation, the influence of that old nature begins to encroach on our hearts. We begin to believe the lie out of our history. We begin to believe the testimony of the enemy against us instead of the testimony of Jesus for us. Anybody know what I'm talking about? This is why when Jesus showed up on the scene immediately, this is the first thing he did, by the way, first thing he did. His ministry started at 30 years old. First thing he did, he's baptized in water. When he's baptized in water, Luke 4, Matthew 4, end of chapter 3, beginning of chapter 4. When he's baptized in water, it says he goes under. Baptismo means to be put under, immersed. He's immersed in water. John the Baptist is baptizing him. He's immersed in water. When he goes down in the water, then the Holy Spirit, signified by a dove, comes and lands upon him. And a voice, explosive voice out of the heavens says, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. He's anointed from that moment with the Holy Spirit. There was an upon anointing experience that came upon Jesus that was literally tangible. He goes into the wilderness for 40 days immediately where he faces, he faces desolation. He faces separation. 
He faces hunger. He's on a 40-day fast. He returns from that wilderness experience greeted by Satan. And the first temptation is to eat. Turn these stones to bread. He comes out of that experience victorious. You know that. He comes out of that experience victorious. And he immediately walks into the temple... He walks into the temple and says, hand me the scroll of Isaiah. Remember this? This is in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Hand me the scroll of Isaiah. And he opens it up in the temple, and he, he scrolls through to chapter 61, and he begins to read chapter 61. He is the Jubilee. He is the Jubilee. He is forgiveness. He is the reset. He is the restoration. He is the renewal. He is your redemption. He is everything you need. And in him coming, in him coming, he is your deliverance. He is our deliverer. See, it's not just the debts. It's not just the debts that we owe but it's the wounding of the heart. It's the prisons we're locked in. Are you hearing me? So he addresses those out of Isaiah 61 because Isaiah saw what Jesus would do hundreds of years before and he prophesies this very thing. There is one coming. There is one coming who will Fulfill the Jubilee, not just for real estate, not just for 5,000 acres, not just for the clans, but he will fulfill the Jubilee for your heart and restore your heart. Because when your heart is restored, you're restored in your inheritance. Isaiah 61 Let's read it. I want to read it. I want to read it. I want to read it. I want the band to come. And I want to begin to prepare for my first closing. Are you still here? Are you okay? God is a restorer. He's restoring us. He's restoring us. He's restoring you. He is a great restorer. A great restorer. He is concerned about restoring you. He is thinking about this all of the time. Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. This is what he said. He read out of Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Have you come to your 50th year? Have you come to Jubilee poor? Have you come to your 50th year? You've got some losses. Have you come to the 50th year and your financial, your economic position is not what you hoped? The Spirit of the Lord is upon him and he has come to bring good news to all of you whose economic position is not in line with the inheritance God ordained for you. You know what good news is? Good news is liberty is here. Release is here. Refreshment is here.
Hope is here. He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives. Oh, I know what that's like. I've felt captive before. I've felt captive because a behavior of sin put me into captivity. A behavior of sin put me into captivity. But he has come to release me from captivity. He has come to bring recovery of sight to the blind. Can you see all that he's up to? Can you see all that he's up to? Can you see how good he is and what he's ordained for you? Can you see the freedom that he's ordained for you? Remember in Luke 24, two were walking with Jesus on the road to Emmaus and didn't recognize it was him because of a blinding of the eyes. Have you fully allowed him to minister in your heart? Not just forgiveness, but deliverance. Are you working with him, agreeing that those things are gone? They are past. I don't want them. They're not a part of me anymore. Those things that have held me, I don't want it in my life anymore. Those things that have limited me, those things that have weighed me down, those things that have encroached on my inheritance, I don't want them anymore. I don't want them anymore. I don't want them anymore. I yield to the fullness. I cooperate. I obey. I walk into. I agree with the fullness of the inheritance that Father ordained for me, that He granted me, that He gave to me in the beginning. I say yes to you, Lord. I want my eyes open to set free those who are oppressed to proclaim a year of favor, to proclaim the favorable, the acceptable. You know what God loves this year? He loves historically. He loves the year of Jubilee. And He loves perpetual Jubilee. Jesus came to announce, I am He. I am the rest that you are to enter into. Proclaiming proclaiming the favorable year of the Lord. And it says he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And all of the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, right then, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Stand with me this morning.